Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 120. Very exciting. Uh, all right. Uh, no real uh, big announcements right now. What I will say is, uh, as a reminder, in case you didn't listen to last week's mini-sode, that I am going to be in Miami in mid-January, and I'm uh, putting together a, sort of a meetup uh, for me and at the moment one other listener, but it's looking like another will actually uh, be joining us for uh, for dinner somewhere. And so uh, if you are a, a Miami listener and you would like to join in, just email me, Tyler at more than one lesson.com. I always enjoy meeting listeners, finding out you know how they found found out about the podcast, but also just the types of types of movies they like. Uh, and then if it's you know if you're a listener of this, then, you know, the role that faith has, has played in your life and, and that sort of thing. So it's a conversation I enjoy having, uh, even with people that are, for all intents and purposes, strangers. So, okay. Uh, aside from that, uh, I will go ahead and welcome in my co-host, Josh Long. Josh. Hi. It looks like I interrupted you about to take a glass. What are you talking uh, drink about? Water. Drinking water. Where would I drink water from? From that glass that I so generously gave you. Uh, no, you, the glass is mine. You, oh, okay. Please return the glass <sighs> after you finish gulping that water. <laughs> That is a reference to Brian Butterfield, who I only recently <laughs> discovered uh, as a not a real person, but a delightful. Mm. Everyone, uh, go on YouTube Brian Butterfield and then spend the next 20 to 25 minutes watching these delightful videos. Um, so, okay. Josh, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Merry Christmas, Tyler. Christmas is not for like hey, two more weeks. It's, uh, In fact, it's, by the time this goes up, it'll be literally two weeks. Yeah. So it's right around the corner. It's absolutely. the Christmas season. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Merry Christmas to you as well. And to all a good night. All right, we'll get you next time. Yeah. Uh, bye. We're done, right? Um, if you say to all a good night, then that That's does the end. end. Yeah, that ends any conversation. Basic podcasting etiquette will tell you that uh, you have to stop recording. I do that in person, too, if it's with someone that I'm done talking to. Even if it's in the middle of their sentence, if you just interrupt and say, and to all a good night, and you can walk away. And and they would feel okay about it. Yeah. They'd be like, like well, well he, he wished me a good night, I guess. He wished everyone a good night. As opposed to if you say good day to someone, it sounds very huffy. Yeah. Good day. I say good day. Exactly. Um, like Willy Wonka. Where are we? Oh, yes. Um, oh, yeah. There's somebody sitting in front of me. So, okay. Oh, there you go. Uh, as mentioned, I believe last week, uh, we are joined by a guest because we did not want to talk about today's movie, just the two of us. We felt like we needed to bring in other opinions. And so, uh, he was last here for our episode about Darren Aronofsky's Noah. And, uh, it would appear that in some ways you're sort of our go-to for like Christian stuff. Cause you were there for religious, you were there for fireproof and then Noah. And now here we are at saving Christmas. I know that you watch other movies. 
Uh, I prefer to watch other movies. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I don't know why you became this guy. You didn't ask. You didn't ask for this. I certainly didn't. It's just the burden that you have to bear. And so that's uh, Nathan Potter. He's here. Hi, everybody. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. All right. Glad to hear it. Yeah. So, okay. Here we are. A few minutes in. We're going to be talking about Darren Doan's Saving Christmas. Now, I know people have been saying it's it's Kirk Cameron's Saving Christmas, and that is how they advertise it. But I uh, I I subscribe to the auteur theory, so this is Darren <laughs> Doan's baby. Well, we maybe should call it Darren Doan's Kirk Cameron's Saving Christmas. That's true, except it's, that's not the actual title. That's merely how they're advertising. It's not the, the actual title. In the credits... It's uh, it simply says saving Christmas. So, can, can this be a situation like, um, like Precious, based on the novel Push <laughs> oh, Sapphire, where we have to reference it as Darren Doan's Kirk Cameron's Saving Christmas every time, or by the same director as Precious, based on the novel Push by Sapphire, um, Lee Daniels. A couple years later, he directed a movie called The Butler, but the ter- the, the title of The Butler was uh, already used by a silent film, and so I guess the studio was afraid to use it. Uh, so it, the official title is Lee Daniels' The Butler. That is the title. So it could be called, as David has mentioned over at Battleship Pretension, Lee Daniels, Lee Daniels, the butler. That's, that's what it would be, directed by Lee Daniels. Um, but yeah, so it's... Uh, Hollywood's fun. You're getting, into, you're getting into Tommy Wiseau ter- uh, territory <laughs> when you true. say it that many times. Um, I've, I've made this a thing now. I'm going to do that. Oh, I've enjoy. just made the decision. <laughs> Me personally, for the rest of my life, I'll refer to this as Darren Doan's Kirk Cameron's Saving Christmas. And I'm sure – how often is it going to come up? I, who for the next as often weeks? as you want it yeah, to yeah. come up now. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> hey, did you guys see Darren Doan's Kirk Cameron's Saving Christmas? I was like – no, no, no I've never even heard of that. Actually, there's a lot of people I've talked to that have never heard of this film. Yeah, mm. and that's okay. So that brings up uh, what I wanted to lead with, which is, um, you know, this was not a movie that was on my radar. I was aware of it a little bit. Um, I viewed it mostly with uh, derision and the idea of seeing it. See, it didn't seem like a vital film at all. But, um, yeah. Unlike God's Not Dead with made a lot – sorry, it's just – there's so much stuff going on in my mind right now. I don't even really know where to start. So I'll, I'll go with this. Uh, God's Not Dead was a movie that I felt like we needed to talk about because it made over $40 million on a budget of like what, 500000 No, it was like $3 million, I think, uh, to make that. But I might be – it might actually be less than that. I don't totally recall. But it's a mm-hmm. small budget and $40 million for any Christian film is crazy. Oh, yeah. Um, and so we felt like, and people were talking about it, uh, on Facebook and stuff. And so I felt like, okay, we should, we should talk about this one. Uh, I certainly don't feel like we need to talk about every Christian film. I do want to talk about the new left behind, but that's just a function of curiosity on my part. Um, mm-hmm. where saving Christmas, I had heard about it. It seemed like a, a, silly little thing. Uh, and so I didn't really care much about it. Uh, and it, it sounds like it has made a, a fair amount of money, but not very much. Maybe like I think like three or four million dollars. Um, and for the amount of money that I would, I don't know what their budget was. If I had to guess, I'd say low. Um, any money they make is uh, probably a profit. So, uh, but this is not a film that I was hearing about on Facebook or anything like that. At least not when I saw it. Now I'm hearing about it a lot. Hmm. 
And so here's the deal. I want, before we get into the film proper, I did want to lead with this. So if you heard me talk very briefly about the film over a battleship pretension, where I felt the need to cram a whole episode's worth of thoughts about the film into about four minutes. And thus my tone was a bit heightened. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so we're going to try not to have that tone here. We're going to try and really break the film down uh, as respectfully as we can. Uh, that doesn't mean being uh, falsely positive. Um, it just doesn't mean being ridiculous in our criticism. And that brings me to what I wanted to lead with, which actually doesn't necessarily have to do with the film itself. It has to do with uh, a lot of stuff surrounding the movie because while people weren't posting about f- posting about it on Facebook a couple weeks ago, they certainly are now and on Twitter. Um, and that is that uh, Saving Christmas is now the lowest rated film on IMDb. Now, beating out you know Battlefield Earth and all those other ter- glitter, all those terrible movies, um, and. People like Huffington Post and all that, they're just crowing about how low-rated this movie is. Uh, as much as I – spoilers, everybody. I don't like Saving Christmas. Uh, <laughs> as much as I don't like this film, this instinct, which comes primarily from a snarky, condescending, superior mindset – is something that is to me very ugly. It is the essence of the internet. Because, and here's where it, it basically started because uh, the film was rated very low on um, Rotten Tomatoes, um, as it should have been. It is not a good film. Um, mm-hmm. And he was frustrated with that and, and played a card that I don't like being played, which is when someone says, and he didn't say this, but he said basically the attitude of like those critics, you know, they don't have the same values we do. They don't look for the same things we do. You know, they're they're just out to break this film. And so let's show them, uh, what we're made of. And so he basically said to, you know, our loyal fans. And again, that not again, that's again to you guys. Uh, that term is kind of ambiguous. It could mean fans of the film or it could mean fans of Kirk Cameron. He says, go out there and rate the film highly and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, and there has been some argument about whether he was telling people to rate it highly, whether they've seen the film or not. Again, when you talk about loyal fans, it's hard to say. Um, so what happened was fans uh, or people started doing that. And then that video, I think made it out. I think maybe it was a function of Reddit or something. I don't recall exactly the, the order of things, but, um, but then uh, a number of atheists and critics of the, of the film, um, and critics of Kirk Cameron, they decided to tear into the film on Rotten Tomatoes. And then it, uh, went into IMDb. And so a lot of people gave it a, a horrible rating. I think it's like one point, it's at 1.5 stars out of 10. Um, and with a, a, a fair number of votes. And so, uh, it's considered the worst movie of all time. That's obviously that's going to go away. Um, once people watch troll two again, um, <laughs> but, uh, and that is a film, you know what? Maybe it's worse than troll two. Cause I actually do feel the need to watch that again mm. because, but in the right context, mm. um, so, uh, and, and I don't like any of this. None of this is about the, th- the thing that the, the argument that I have against a movie like saving Christmas and that Josh has and that Nathan, I think even that you, that you have is that it's not a good movie. Christian movies tend not to be good because they're leading with ideology. Well, Voting this, voting negatively about this film, that's also about ideology. It has, I would venture to say that 
mm-hmm. none of the people voting it down have seen the film. Otherwise, it would be no, it would probably be doing uh, uh, God's Not Dead money. You know, it'd probably be making that kind of money if this many people paid to see the film in order to give it a low review. Mm-hmm. So it's not about hmm. championing good film. It's about sticking it to Kirk Cameron. And regardless of what I might think about him and the way he presents his faith, and certainly the way he presents art. Uh, this not it's like everything is just completely in my opinion off base and it's just a very ugly thing there are no winners in this situation and certainly the idea of uh, of of like just looking at a film from an artistic standpoint thematically as well especially a movie like this but looking at at film artistically and that leading how we approach film that is a, a pretty big loser in this situation and the fact that there are people who clearly don't like kirk cameron and they'll just they and it's an w- easy way to get clicks on top of everything else is Huffington Post and stuff saying like oh look at this this is the worst film ever it's like yeah and people said the dark Knight, according to IMDb the dark knight was the best film ever a, a week after it opened <laughs> you know it's just it, it's just frustrating uh i think this kind of thing brings out all the worst instincts in people um admittedly i think Kirk Cameron probably should have known something like this was going to happen um, and maybe shouldn't have made out put that put out that call anyway. I think yeah. you should have recognized like if the critics hate you, fine. It's not the end of the world. Well, because and granted, I don't think this is any excuse for uh, for what people you know who have voted it down for ideological reasons. I don't think this is an excuse for that. But he is in essence doing that same thing, asking people to vote not based on any kind of artistic integrity, but based on because I said so or because mm-hmm. you want to support an ideology. So that's that's what i don't like about what he did is that he's yeah he's doing the and i think it, yeah what i'm saying is i don't like that he's trying to get people to vote based solely on their ideology and ignoring the artistic right. content and i think the i think some atheists are using that as a rationale to say well let's get him back by doing the same yeah um but you know, two wrongs don't make a right, yeah. in my humble opinion. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can... Oh, IMHO, right? That's a that's an internet I thing. don't know what that is. Okay. Um, I like the idea that two wrongs don't make a right is Josh's opinion. That's yeah. never been said before. It's just, <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's just something I've been thinking recently, guys. And I, I don't you know, know what? I'm going to write that down. I think I might b- wind up using that in the future. Because I, I was know. under the impression that, uh, you know, kill or be killed, right? Uh, that is not at all what two wrongs are. Anyway, um, so uh, I'm going to have to think forever to figure out how I can connect those two. Um, I just like the idea of people just putting platitudes together and being like, that, that's the right thing. It right? works, right? Um, but yeah, so I wanted to lead with that because that is because we're going to get into the film and we're probably going to be pretty critical of it. And if I might get if I'm if if I can get up on my high horse for a moment, we deserve whatever opinion we have. Uh, someone could love the movie and they deserve that opinion. Certainly more so than anybody who rates this film without having seen it positive or negative. Like that's, it's a horrible thing. If you want to talk about the movie, go see it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, we gave this, we gave this movie money so that we could talk about it on the show. Did I email the company and asked if I could get a free screener? I did because I didn't feel like spending money on this film, (laughs) but I was willing to do so, so that we could do this episode. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, just bite the bullet and, I can't say what I was going to say because of this show. Um, but, uh, but yeah, just, I don't know. I wanted to speak about that 
first uh, because, again, I'm going to be posting this on IMDb. There are not a lot of uh, external reviews on IMDb. It's entirely possible people will find this. And uh, the same instinct that might cause people to listen to this episode might be the same thing that would cause somebody to rate the film negatively without having seen it. And so I want to – so I'm talking to you, sir or ma'am. Go see the movie. Not, that's not an endorsement. No, don't. That's not an endorsement. I'd say don't say the movie, but then just don't talk about it. So, okay. <laughs> just let it let it float just, by as if it never existed. Yeah. <laughs> just, just do what always was going to happen with it, which is forget about it. This film was if, – if, if Kirk Cameron hadn't said, hey, everybody, let's do this artificially – then nature would have taken its course and no one would remember it. No one would talk. Nobody about gets it. hurt. So, okay. That sounds, that sounds like you've got a gun to somebody's head. Well, who says Forget I about don't? saving Christmas and nobody gets hurt. <laughs> so, okay. Um, so we are talking about Darren Downs, Kirk Cameron saving Christmas <laughs> and uh, a little bit of history. I, like I said, I'd heard about this film, didn't care about it. Then I read one or two reviews. There were of course, negative reviews and, but they were respectful and they said that what surprised them was that, you know, in the same way, when I describe this film to people, they say, so what is this? Is this like a war on Christmas kind of thing? And that's what I assumed it was. And then I read these reviews and they said, oddly enough, it's not that we wish it was that it's something else. It is actually, uh, this weird, this weird idea of like, Almost, hey, don't don't make waves. Don't ask questions. Just yeah. keep doing what you're doing. I I still say uh, the answer to that question: Is it a movie about a war on Christmas? Is I don't know. Yeah, that- I I, th- I think that is legitimately my answer to that question. I, I think most questions about what is this about, my honest answer is I don't know. Yeah, I I really well. First of all, when I saw a poster for this movie, my very first thought was this fanciful, delightful idea of like almost a National Lampoon's Christmas vacation kind of thing with Kirk Cameron and the gospel presented through Christmas. And I was like, oh, that'd be kind of delightful because the poster kind of indicated that. And then I realized there's no way on earth that that's what this is going to be. The poster was my first exposure to the movie because someone, the first thing I ever saw was it came up online that the poster looks very similar to the last action hero poster. (laughs) And, uh, that is, uh, that was my first exposure to it. But anyway, last Christmas hero. That's what I like. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, man, I'm sorry. It's in in the same way that like you know how on uh, oh have you is this your first time looking at the poster, Nathan? <laughs> side by side with oh yes, last oh, action here. It's yeah, amazing. Yeah. If only Austin O'Brien. I don't know why I remember the name of the kid, but if only he was there in the <laughs> film as well. That's his face is reflected in that crystal ball that <laughs> Kirk Cameron has for some reason. Uncanny. I think that's supposed to be in oh, it's, it's probably a, yeah, yeah. a snow like globe. A snow that globe. would make sense. Okay, so um, that is unreal. <laughs> Here comes the section where Nathan just marvels <laughs> at just how much of a ripoff that is. I can't believe that. <laughs> if if you're in front of your computer right now, you should Google the, the names of those two movies together and you'll you'll find it. Perhaps I'll put it on the Facebook page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. De- you it. should definitely do that because this is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. It actually it actually makes me a little upset. <laughs> oh, okay. I right. couldn't even think of an original poster for this guy. <laughs> uh and so yeah, um, you know, in the same way uh when you see a, a movie and um 
and in the trailer or on the poster they have like just one word you know snippets from like a critic's review and it'll say like terrific engaging hilarious something like that the one for this if it were me if you were quoting me for the trailer the word would be flabbergasting (laughs) because like Josh and I walked away. Now, certain, certainly there are a lot of things that we didn't like, and we'll talk about those. But more than anything, from a filmmaking standpoint, our reaction was bafflement and confusion and just, like, we couldn't get our head. Like, when we watched the trailer, our big response was, okay, what are you? Then we saw the film. That question didn't go away. So, what are you? I, I yeah. said... I thought during the film, and I've said more than once afterwards, if I found out that this was an avant-garde art project, I might like it more. Oh, yeah. (laughs) There are moments that seem to go so counter to the rules of filmmaking that it almost seems like it's done on purpose. But it was done on purpose. I I mean... Well, it's not like they knew the rules broke them. That's That's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think... Okay. We need to be careful already because I do want this to have a different tone than others. But at the same time, I want to really in my tone convey how strange yeah. this film is, how strange the choices are. When I say that about the avant-garde thing, I don't even mean that as – I mean it is a criticism, but I don't mean that as a snarky criticism. I genuinely like stuff that counters what you expect the uh, the conventions in filmmaking to be. Mm-hmm. That's strange a lot of times and uh, off-putting, and a lot of people don't like it, and that's fine. But uh, it's so weird to see a movie that's that's kind of doing that but not trying to do it as – uh, some kind of artistic uh, exploration that just seems to be making these massive mistakes. Uh, and and we'll get into some of them later, I think. You know, as, as far as what is the movie about, who is it for, what's the question it's answering, etc. One of my thoughts fairly early into the film was, oh, good, they got their audience right. Because it seemed like the movie was aimed at Christians. Mm. Oh yes. Which was a solid start. Mm-hmm. Cause I was really afraid I was walking into apologetic and I was like, man, talk about the wrong Avenue for an apologetic for Christmas. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, which is a problem with the tagline. Cause you can't say putting Christ back in Christmas and not have it be an apologetic. That doesn't make any sense, mm-hmm. but that tagline doesn't fit really at all. No, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, I was pumped cause I was like, Oh, it seems like the audience for this film is Christians who look at American Christmas traditions, the tree, the presents, etc., and get all uppity about it, that none of that's in the Bible, and therefore none of it should be here, and it's all materialistic, and Jesus would hate this, and this is false religion, and they kind of crap on Christmas. Mm-hmm. And so I was proud of the film for knowing, like, that is our audience. That's who we're talking to. Yeah. What's the, the place that I come into, I am equally am baffled by this, is that that group of people is so small. Yeah. Most films are aiming to hit an audience between 18 and 35, mm-hmm. if I'm correct. Yes. And that's everybody between 18 and 35. <laughs> yeah. And, and Christian films are trying to hit Christians between 18 and 35, I would hope. Yeah. This film seems to be trying to hit a very small population 
of an already very small population. Like most mm-hmm. within that, there's a smaller mm-hmm. contingent that this, mo- that this film was for. Okay. Uh, I'm about to sound a bit cynical. I apologize in advance. Uh, I would say the, au- the audience you're talking about, it is going for that audience overtly. Perhaps subconsciously, I think they're going for a different audience, or at least they're appealing to an audience, and that is people that are in some way like myself. I love Christmas, as does Josh, and I believe you do as well. Uh, sure do you. All right. It is the birth of our Lord Jesus. Yes. But, it, but you know what? Here's the thing. I like presents. I love Christmas trees. Yeah. I love the music. You know, I love just, and not even just the Christmas hymns. I mean, I love my, the Beach Boys Christmas album. You sure do. Oh, oh boy, do I. I love the I'm Sheehan hymn. I'm going to let that. A very Sheehan hymn Christmas. I haven't That's, listened to that one. I've heard it's, it's good. Fantastic. It's, it's yeah. really great. Yeah, I should get it. Um, favorite Christmas song is probably. Um, Little Drummer Boy, right? Oh, that's my least favorite. <laughs> I do not care for that one. <laughs> I don't like it anytime Pentatronics do it, and it's incredible. There's Thank a good you, way to do almost any. Uh, there's a good way to do almost any song. Uh, Josh and I were seeing a movie recently, and there was a Coco Chanel, a Chanel Number no. Five ad, which uh, featured a song from Greece, but which I, a musical that I don't care for. Mm. But it slowed down the song, music. and it was great. Hey, look at that! <laughs> it was really wonderful. That's neither here nor there. Um, mm-hmm. So I love basically everything about Christmas. All of the trappings. All you know. It's just. No, but like I love those things, but in the end, it does come down to like what Christmas is an observance of. Um, but you can still love those other things as well. This seems like a film that is that is trying to speak to those people that are that are looking to dismiss those things. But I think it's also going to people who love those things. They want to continue continue loving those things, and they're asking for validation. It's like you already have the validation. It's fine to love them. That's fine. If if those become the primary thing of the season for you, okay, then yes, maybe your priorities are a bit off. But there's nothing inherently wrong as a Christian with loving a Christmas tree. And yes, I recognize right. you know there's the stuff that that people say. And it's like okay, that's a bit. People say like oh, but it was represent. You know, the pagans talked about this and all that kind of. Thing. And part of me is like the big argument that I make now, and I know that maybe this is not the right ar- argument to to make, is simply that like okay, yeah, it doesn't mean that anymore. Mm-hmm. Now it means something else. Mm-hmm. Now I recognize that where something starts is a big deal, but that's it, it is literally not that anymore, and it's not that for me. Right. So can't that be enough? And it seems like a film that's trying. It is it, so at its core. What I'm saying is, and this this is kind of a a mean thing, but like it's it's a film dedicated to telling people that the status quo is fine. You're perfectly fine in where you are right now. You don't need to make any changes at all. It does. It does feel very much like that. I remember having that same thought afterwards. And I was just wondering now, in, in uh, talking about that, in in, in a response to a Christian audience that feels a certain way about it, is, is it possible that maybe part of the impetus for the whole movie is people like Kirk Cameron, for instance, being maybe too enclosed within some kind of Christian culture that they're not seeing enough outside of it to think that the biggest problem with Christmas is other Christians who don't understand, like who aren't able to enjoy the parts Mm. of the season. Like, is it possible that there are other Christian critics or that they're seeing that enough to think that this is a serious problem when it's maybe not in a larger sense? I don't know. That's possible. 
I do think it is possible to be very insulated and see that this is like the biggest, like you said, you percentage wise they're making, I mean, what, don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of niche filmmaking, you know, but <laughs> this is so, this is so niche that I'm just like, I, I just find myself again, baffled that they felt the need to make this film. Yeah. Like maybe in their eyes, there are, they're seeing Christian bloggers out there or something like that who are critical of aspects of Christmas. And they're worried that the rest of Christians will fall into that. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying yeah. to think of, of where the idea yeah. Like where they feel like the need for this movie comes from. I think, um, first of all, I, I want to disagree with the status quo thing. Okay. I actually disagree that they're saying nothing has to change. Status quo is great. Um, and I'll make a case for that later when we get into the film itself. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I, it seems like the impetus of the film is somewhere between, Hey, let's make sure everybody knows what Christmas is about. And, hey, let's get grumpy Uncle Charlie on board with Christmas. Like, somewhere in between yeah. there mm. is the reason for this movie. And I th- and that's the thing is, like, there are things that I have a problem with when it comes to the way we observe Christmas. Jo- I know that, like, Josh, I know you have a problem with going into it too early. Like, you don't like the idea of putting up Christmas decorations or listening to christmas songs until after thanksgiving gotta wait until uh, after thanksgiving i'm with you to a point but then mid-november i went to disneyland and christmas was up all over the place and i was like oh, i'm such i'm in such a christmas mood so i listened to a christmas a few christmas songs afterwards and part of me is like well the culture said it's okay so i guess i'll do it <laughs> which is always a good attitude to have <laughs> but but that's the thing like the, at this point the moment halloween is over it's christmas and the total the we keep using the word impetus the impetus for that it does seem to be commercialism, which is, it does seem to be like Christmas is coming. Start buying. Well, and where's the first place you see it? The malls. Exactly. You know, and right. and so the commercialism aspect of Christmas, I like getting gifts. I love buying gifts. And so, but there is a commercialism aspect that I think, uh, in the same way, uh, a certain degree of cynicism and calculation will always bother me. Uh, whether it be like there are movies out there that are genuinely awful, but, but the, the director failed in trying to do something well. And those, I may not like those movies, but I at least understand them. When I see a studio calculation, that's usually when I hate something. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so, and in the same way, like from a cultural and, and, a, and, you know, and I have nothing, I don't think there's anything wrong with a capitalistic system. Uh, and if this is what, if this is what's happening, then it's what's happening, but I don't have to like it. And so I do think that it is overly over, overly commercialized and, and that sort of thing. So I, there are plenty of complaints that you can have as a Christian and as a person with Christmas, uh, that I don't have a problem with. Mm. Um, but the film doesn't, again, the, I feel like it's, I, I feel like just a film does sort of need to justify its own existence. And if it's sort of an issue film, I feel like the issue has to actually be one that people can, can relate to. And the film ultimately at the end, it feels like it's trying to be a celebration of Christmas. And if it were purely trying to be that, I think I'd be more on board. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the more and more I think about it, the and the more we're talking about it, I really feel like it just, it, it's not focused enough. I think they have several different ideas going into it, but they're at times competing and they're, there's never any clear message. Mm-hmm. And because another one I just thought of is, Maybe their idea is we want to make something 
that can basically show uh, Christians ways that they can see uh, see Christ in all these mm-hmm. sort of trappings of Christmas. I don't think I'd have a problem with that. Yeah. But the movie's not really that either. But and, I think that's another thing that's floating somewhere in the ether of yeah. what they wanted it to be. It's a very mm-hmm. amorphous film. Yeah. And what's more is, and again, even if, it, if that's what it wanted to do, its tone is so standoffish. Again, a celebration I can live with. Folding your arms and saying, like, as, as the character, Kirk Cameron, literally says, like, you're completely wrong. You drank the Kool-Aid. Like, just, those are kind of, it's important to be able to tell someone when they're wrong. But as opposed to saying, like, hey, I absolutely see where you're coming from. I've heard it, too. And I, you know, I understand. I feel like there's not a film that says I understand. Not, not even. I mean, <laughs> it does, but only after saying you're dead wrong and you're yeah. ruining Christmas. It, like it's, it's more a movie that says you don't understand. Yeah, yeah. it's it's more movie. It's more well the Kirk Cameron character, which is kind of the voice of the film. Yeah. Um, can you can we call him the Kirk Cameron character if he's actually? <laughs> oh, he's Kirk a character, Cameron? all right. So he actually like it says I get you. I'm with you. After saying, you are ruining Christmas. He literally, at one point in the film, says, you ruin Christmas for your wife and everyone in your house. Yeah. But I get it. I thought so, too. Yeah. He never never specifies. (laughs) Yeah. It's almost like the humility came as an afterthought, and he realized, I might be coming off like a jerk. So, you know what? I'll say, hey, I, I thought so, too. And not elaborate at all. Back when I was a big dumb idiot, and like (laughs) like yourself, right now, kind of feels that way. (laughs) Which is a good note on uh, on trying to understand people, (laughs) empathize, listen, empathize, listen, empathize, listen, empathize, then get feedback. Yeah, Hmm. and it's just and so I will say uh, for those that don't know, uh, it may sound like this is a documentary. It is not. I think it should have been. Yes, and I I think we all agree that this would have been better as a documentary. Yeah, no question. And so, but there is a. And what's more, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm going to try and tone myself down a moment. What's more is that it also seems, there's a thing at the beginning talking about stories and how important stories are. And then proceeds to make what is essentially a documentary. And don't get me wrong, documentaries can tell stories. Mm-hmm. This isn't one of them. Um, and so it seemed to understand like, oh, okay, narrative is important. So we'll impose a narrative onto this film that doesn't need one and certainly doesn't bear one out. Mm-hmm. And so you have the Kirk character talking to uh, a character subtly named Christian, uh, played by the director, Darren Doan. He directed Darren Doan's Kirk Cameron's Saving Christmas. Starring Darren Doan. Exa- yeah. <laughs> Uh, exactly. As Kirk Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> um, they played each other. There's oh, so, oh, that would have been so You good. know what? So Immediately, levels. I'd like it more. Um, <laughs> then you're getting avant-garde. Exactly. <laughs> See, I'm thinking of that. Every There's so many ways where I'm thinking, maybe if they had zigged instead of zagging there, I might I might find this an oddball, yeah. strange, uh, uh, I don't know. You know, I, about that. you know what I wish the three of us had the time and money to do? is get the exact same cast and direct three different films that oh. we want this to be. Oh. Josh makes this avant-garde piece. I'm making a document, like a legitimate <laughs> yeah, yeah. documentary. And I'll just say, you know what? You guys are done for the day. <laughs> uh, Take five. I, five I, I years. I make the movie that I think this should have been, which is nothing at all. <laughs> That's um, an excellent statement. There well we done. go. So um, should, we, should we maybe, because for, for people who haven't seen this, 
should we kind of describe like a loose? I was I was about to yeah, when I said plot. that it sounds like a documentary, but yeah. it is not. Here's yeah. what it essentially is. Darren Dome plays this character named Christian, who is uh, Kirk Cameron's brother-in-law. So they're at hit, uh, at Christian's house. Uh, the whole family and friends, like there are probably 40 people there. Should we note that before it gets into this, there is an introduction with Kirk Cameron sitting in a chair addressing the camera as Kirk Cameron – Maybe as his character from the movie. I don't think Maybe so. just as himself, but maybe we'll, his himself is the character from the movie. We'll get into the specifics of that in a moment. Right now, I'm sticking to the I'll put quotes around story. Um, okay. Which is, so he's there, and uh, so Kirk is there at his brother-in-law's, his sister and his brother-in-law's house. Everyone's there. It's it's decorated all, I mean, to an insane degree. Like, hotels don't have this, this these kind of decorations. But festive and fun. Uh, but, uh, Kirk's looking around for his brother-in-law Christians. Like, where is he? I don't know where he is. So he finds him in, uh, sitting in his Lying car. in a manger. Oh my, oh, if only <laughs> see avant-garde, you're getting avant-garde with it. Um, so, uh, so he sees him in his car in the driveway and he just wanted to remove himself because he's not really on board with this Christmas thing for a lot of the reasons that we were talking about, which is the the emphasis on Christmas trees and Santa Claus. He doesn't find he Christian is himself a Christian, as is I assume everybody at the party, and um, and he just he doesn't see any biblical basis for a lot of what Christmas is, as far as the images and that sort of thing. He says it's not about Jesus anymore, and he, and one of the points he makes is you know I look at all the gifts under the tree and I think that you know for the, how many wells could have been dug with that money how many children could have been fed for that money uh, for that much money and so um you know all of them i think good many of them good points mm-hmm. and so th- then it's uh kirk the, the next however long in the film is kirk addressing a lot of those points though interestingly enough he never actually addresses how much how many children could have been fed he There's- never brings that part up and i yeah. feel like that's a, that if any if anything that's the question to to address in the film yeah. but anyway there are a lot of things that that the character of christian brings up that aren't actually dealt with um there's really only three major points that kirk cameron the character the man whatever the myth the legend there <laughs> there's actually go. four but one of them is so small it's almost unnoticeable hmm. okay so there's the four total is the fourth one. Oh yeah yeah, yeah. oh yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, there, there are other things that Christian brings up that just are not dealt with. Um, and I think that becomes more of a problem when, as Kirk Cameron outlines the, you know, his, his argument regarding all of these points, the character of Christian seems to immediately take it and buy it 100%. Yeah. And so I, I just think that that it feels false that, a lot of his concerns are not dealt with, but he seems to, when one of them is dealt with, right, be be sold. Well, basically, uh, the f- the film can be okay. So I view it as there are five parts to the film: intro, story setup, nativity, which is to say uh, the discussion about swaddling cloths, Christmas trees, Santa Claus. I'm sorry, six parts, and then aftermath which is christian agrees mm-hmm. and then celebrates christmas denouement denouement exactly i think you have to add a seventh okay of uh epilogue because there's that whole section at the end where kirk cameron starts talking again about the feast 
Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess so. Which we all forget about because it's about two minutes after what should have been the credit sequence. But mm-hmm. we'll get there in a second. Yeah. And before, he, Kurt before, Cameron himself, carved the roast beast. <laughs> yeah. Before we get there, can we say a few things that we liked about the film? Because we've yes. gone for a little while. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I got I got kind of bogged down talking about the structure uh, of the film. We all and did. Just kind it's of too general, simple. Uh, and yet surprisingly <laughs> complex. Sorry, complicated. Different thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's let's talk about what we like. I usually I, – it's frustrating. I usually try to lead with what we like about a film that we probably – that listeners can probably assume we don't like. Um, so yeah, leading with what we like about saving Christmas for me, it's a fairly small list. Um, I do a lot of it. I like some of the potential and some of the things that are said, the points that Kirk Cameron makes about the sim, sim uh, the symbolism of a Christmas tree and more specifically what it can be. And then he makes an interesting point about, uh, uh, Adam uh, taking it, you know, approaches a tree, takes a piece of fruit off it, you know, basically does something he's not supposed to do and ingests it. And so you can't. And so the only way to rectify a mistake is to uh, is to try is to do everything you can to replace that thing. Like if you took something, you have to give it back. But of course, because this is food and Adam has ingested it, then he literally cannot put it back. The only, the closest thing he, he would have to put himself on that tree in order to make amends. But of course he can't do that. But then that's what Jesus did. I think that's a really interesting point. Doesn't necessarily have anything to do with Christmas trees, but I think that's an interesting point. And so again, like there, there are things I'm like, that's, you know what, that's, uh, that's useful to me as a Christian. And then later when it talks about Santa Claus and it goes back and talks about St. Nicholas, and I, there are a lot of things I didn't know. I didn't know that he was at the Council of Nicaea. I didn't know that he played a rather uh, ostentatious role there. Um, <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. And like I can genuinely say I walked out of the film knowing things I didn't know and thinking a couple of things I didn't think. Hmm. That is probably – that's probably where my positives end. Mm-hmm. Um, although I do have a bit of a positive that I know you do as well, Nathan, which is, and so I will summarize mine in one sentence and then I will allow you to uh, elaborate. Um, and then we'll get to Josh if we think of it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Hey guys, <laughs> hey, hey fellas, what are, are we talking about? Are we having fun? <laughs> I just saw this movie saving Christmas. <laughs> What'd you guys think? Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, it is a film that does by the end celebrate Christmas. And even though I think that celebration winds up being cinematically ridiculous Mm -hmm. as someone who does love Christmas, I do enjoy the, that music. I do enjoy those images. And so it's a film that got me, it actually kicked off my Christmas season in a way that I wasn't expecting, which is though the film is, I would venture to say horrible, horrible, virtually unwatchable, laughable, when you lock into something that I do inherently like, I'll st- I will be excited about that thing. And of course, I think the film wants you to be excited about Christmas. And I was almost despite the film, but that was one of the goals of the film. And so it achieved that goal, at least for me. But then I'm, so- but that's the thing. I'm somebody that already likes Christmas. This is a film, Nathan, according to you. Uh, and I agree a film that's for people that don't like Christmas. And I don't think they will like it by the end yeah it, it like if it 
if it achieved every goal to the best possible artistic degree, maybe. But that is not this film. So hmm. uh, the tree thing, knowing more about Santa Claus, or r- rather St. Nicholas, and uh, got me excited for Christmas. Not terrible on the list of positives. None of them are artistic. Uh, all of them are, the- are thematic. Uh, that's my positive. Nathan, go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll start with where you ended. I, okay. I, I actually walked out. I didn't walk out of the film. <laughs> I left the theater after the film. Mm-hmm. Um, pumped about Christmas. Mm-hmm. So pumped about Christmas. A little upset that I sat there and watched all 80 minutes of the movie, <laughs> but really excited about Christmas and excited. I, I have a, my daughter's two. Um, mm-hmm. My family is staying in Los Angeles for the first time uh, over Christmas for the first time in like four years, something like that. So this is the first year of us really establishing some Christmas tradition. Mm. So I was excited to go home and start establishing tradition according to like, honestly, a little bit according to what I just saw. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I, with you on that. I just, I was so, it kind of kicked off Christmas in a way that I was not expecting it to. So that I I have to give it to the filmmakers for that. If their goal was to make people pumped about Christmas mission accomplished, like, um, I'll use a sports analogy because I know you love those. Tyler. All right. Um, I will see if I can follow. They say in sports that a sloppy win is still a win. And, and I think, we have to, I have to apply that to this movie. Like yeah. it's sloppy. I'm not going to recommend anybody watch it. I'm not going to rewatch it myself, but there's enough there. That's winning that I, I feel like, yeah, okay. I I'll take your sports analogy. I'll make a sports movie analogy. Great. Moneyball. Yeah. He gets on base and someone's like, so he walks a lot. He gets on base. Do yep. I care how? Yep. I, and then Jonah Hill says, you do not. Right. Uh, yeah, I'll take points at him. <laughs> yeah, it's a wonderful. When I scene. point at you, that means talk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's a great way. It's like almost like take what you can get. Mm-hmm. You know, a win is a win. And wait, and I say that hating that I have to say it, but I I do I have to say like you know what? If that was your goal, and if you were a filmmaker who made this film, no, and that was your goal, mission accomplished. Well done. Um, I think. You should probably keep listening and listen to a few loving, gentle critiques on the way you executed the film. But uh, yeah, good job. So I think they've heard a couple critiques already, but yes, I understand. (laughs) Um, Well, he said gentle critiques though. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we should really, okay. Soften this up a bit. Yeah. It's a fruit of the spirit. Gentleness. Um, (laughs) I love, it was, the thing was packed with truth. I mean, packed. Kirk Cameron. So within the narrative that you described, Tyler, Kirk Cameron is essentially, um, um, exegeting or interpreting and explaining these elements of Christmas, the tree, the, uh, the nativity scene, Santa Claus and the time of year when we celebrate Christmas. And, um, He's uh, typically when Christians talk about exegesis, the interpreting and explaining of something, we we're talking about 
exegeting scripture. Mm -hmm. And Kirk here is doing a cultural exegesis, which is just as important for Christians if we're to live in the culture, but not of the culture. Basically what this show does. Right. Exactly. You do a great job of it. Oh, thank you. Uh, Josh, you do a good job supporting Tyler while he does that. What's that? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, fellas. Um, I'm kidding, Josh. You do a really good job of that. Um, So Kirk is... Could not have cared less about what he was saying in that moment. Oh, if only this were a video show. Uh, Josh pulled out his phone while I was talking to him and trying to encourage him and just zoned out. So... um, I loved how much truth was packed in that. I think it could have been easy to say, no, no, the tree's fine because, and kind of justify things and, mm-hmm. and validate them, uh, say that the status quo was acceptable, like you were saying, yeah. Tyler. But th- this is where I disagree with that because I think instead of, instead of Kirk Cameron looking at one audience and saying, hey, don't humbug Christmas, mm-hmm. it's all about Jesus as long as we are all about Jesus he's not looking at the other half of the audience and saying, and you guys just keep doing what you're doing, man. I think he's actually asking that each of us enrich our understanding of Christmas and no longer put the tree up because that's what you do. And no longer put the manger scene up because that's what you do. And no longer set out nutcrackers, but because that's what you do, but rather do all of these things with intentionality, knowing that each of them can, even if they were not originally intended to, represent elements of biblical truth in the gospel. And I thought that was great. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I thought that was using them with meaning. And I guess here's, here's what I would have liked is more. And you know what? I guess go big or go home uh, is a kind of a good attitude to have when it comes to something like this, which is speaking definitively. What I think I would have liked was more of an attitude of on the part of the, the character of Kirk Cameron of like, Hey, this is what has helped me. Mm hmm really embrace Christmas in a way I didn't used to. If it helps you great, like get like, this is again, this is not, this is not inherently biblical. This is interpretation and this has helped me. Right. If it helps you great, if not, guess what? You're not actually rejecting the Bible and doing right. so. So it's fine. Right. I wish there had been a bit more of that. A bit, I guess just more nuance in general, which is my general thing for any Christian film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but no, I still agree with what you're saying. The, now the the downside of all that is it could have easily been done in a few short video posts on the internet or a blog. A three part blog would have sufficed. Hmm. In fact, yeah. we could probably cover all of it in five minutes on this podcast, and everybody could skip the film but get all the rich content. Yeah, the, yeah. Kirk, <laughs> he has other like videos that he does that are that are online, right? Like yeah. shorter videos. He Presumably, does. I don't know. I, I know that he has other stuff that he's done, and, and I don't know if a lot of it's in, and if it's online, or maybe he just like does video releases or something. I don't know. But uh, knowing that he's done other things that are more of kind of a short form thing and are more documentary in style, honestly, uh, that again makes me kind of wonder what, why do why go differently with this one? Mm-hmm. Well, okay. I will, uh, we're not necessarily into the, uh, the part where we're being, uh, you know, uh, negative or, or critical. Um, but what I, I will address this, this is something that as I was looking up IMDb comments, mm-hmm. um, a few people more, you know, certainly more than one, um, a few people dismissed the film as a cash grab, which is yeah, he could have, he could have made these on YouTube. And of course you can still get revenue from YouTube, but like compared to 
slapping something together really that's Christmas and for Christians, an audience that even Hollywood is starting to understand has money and is looking to do stuff, uh, um, putting it out in theaters for a minimum amount of money and then seeing what you can get out of it, you know, capitalizing on the season, which certainly a and, number of people have done. And particularly on the year of the Christian film yeah. as it's, so that's been said. Yeah. Well, I'm out. I'm oh, out. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, uh, that's why there's Noah Exodus is coming up. Oh, um, yeah. like sometimes it's like the year of the Christian film. Another way of putting it is the year that Christians are being marketed to, mm-hmm. um, yeah. in a major way. Yes. Yes. Um, but what I will say is, uh, so people that have said it as a cash grab, I see where you're coming from and I'm, I'm certainly not going to dismiss that outright, but I do think that this was a sincere thing. And I think they recognize that a lot of the audience that they're going for, which is Christians, uh, they are, Christians are not remarkably tech savvy. I think they probably tend to be pretty suspicious of the internet going, whereas going to see a film is a thing they're familiar with and, uh, a, a thing that they can go and do communally. They can take their family and go see it as opposed to gathering around to watch a YouTube clip. It's just not quite as dynamic. So maybe thinking that they'll reach more people by pure virtue of the medium. That's possible. I I think it's that. I can believe that. And that, so that's me giving them the benefit of the doubt. Um, Mm -hmm. but I can certainly see the other side of it as well. Mm -hmm. Sure. Because he certainly does have plenty of avenues to deliver this, this message. So anyway, um, Josh, did you have anything to to say that well, that we haven't said? Was or? there more positive you wanted to say about it? I wasn't um, sure if I no, could. No, I, I mentioned earlier that I, I thought that they at least made an attempt to get the audience right. I was really excited that it wasn't an apologetic mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> so that that was pretty much it. Yeah, the mm-hmm. brother-in-law could have been an atheist. And that would that they are yeah. trying to lecture to. It's like yeah. that's not going to work. Yeah, and I, I would have had a really really hard time with the film at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And that actually, I think is, is kind of an oversight of some of the people who, who have, uh, uh, put bad reviews on IMDb or something like Mm -hmm. that, which fine. If you didn't like the movie and a lot of people seem to speak about specific things in the movie. So if they've seen it, didn't like it, you know, more power to you. But, uh, a lot of people talk about it. Like, I can't believe that Kirk Cameron, like one can't, deal with people not believing what he does or something like that. And I kind of want to be like, this, this is not a movie to convince you of Christianity. That's not at all what this is. So I I think, I think some people could easily go into this expecting it to be that. And then just kind of feel like it is that whether it is or not. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. but, um, so that, that's one positive, I guess I could say, I do agree with you there that I think it would have been a very bad idea for it to be an apologetics film. And I don't think it is that, um, so it sets itself up to be in more of a unique position to speak to Christians and say, what do we as Christians think about Christmas? And I think that's interesting. Um, I, like I said before, I think the, the idea of having a, a movie, I think a documentary works better, but a movie that talks about what do these things about Christmas mean or what can we see in them, even if, uh, even if that's not maybe the original intention. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, I think as uh, the makers of this podcast, we have to back up that ideology because we're a lot of times finding uh, Christian themes in movies that do not have intended Christian themes. Right. And that's not to say that this is what was really there, whether the filmmaker knows it or not. It's just kind of 
taking a piece of culture and pulling something out of it. Yeah. uh, The thing that I, I guess I haven't said it in a while, but it wouldn't hurt to say it now around Christmas time. Um, one of the thing, one of the sort of, one of my operating, uh, Theses, theses, probably it. Um, I think it's theses. Theses um, is that uh, for this show is the idea that um, that God is truth, and art tends to be. I, I'm I'm hedging. I think true art always is a search for truth with a small t. And you can only search for truth with a lowercase t until you hit truth with an uppercase t, which is God. So now you may not get all the way there. You may get part of the way there, but it needs to be. But I feel like Christians, I feel like we as Christians need to acknowledge where a film does interact with the truth that we know. Um, which is God's truth. So, uh, and that can, and the same can go with almost anything cultural. Um, and so that's what, like, like what you're saying is these things, they may have had one meaning at one time. Mm-hmm. And now from us, because of culture, they have taken on a, a, a different meaning. And so we can, and even that meaning might not totally fit with what we do, but we can look at that and without even forcing ourselves to do it, we can see like, oh, I see so much stuff there. Mm-hmm. Whether that whether culture meant it, whether a director meant it, whatever, it can be there just because – and f- from a Christian standpoint, it could be you know God speaking to you and saying like – this is this can mean something to you. Yeah. So and and if any of these Christmas traditions can mean something like that to you, then I mean you win. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> there there's no reason if if you want to have a Christmas tree in your house because of the the things in the movie talks about, then great. I think that's great. Do that. Mm-hmm. You know, let that be why you have a Christmas tree, not just because it's a fun tradition, you know? Yeah. Um and I think that's I think that's the way we should look at a lot of things. And so the the film encouraging us to do that i think is good um and i i didn't know another positive is i didn't know some of the some of the information most of the stuff about saint saint nicholas i I knew some of the stuff about the tree um uh, and i think a lot of christians know more about the truth behind the manger situation than uh is generally depicted in your your classical renaissance painting i feel like we've we've gone through so many years of kind of backlash from that idea that we all know the truth behind it now and we're we're kind of fine with both versions like (laughs) we know what the real version is this one is a incorrect representation of it but we yeah it's not that important um so uh so that that's all to say that that wasn't as new to me but the saint nicholas stuff was new uh Mm -hmm. Council of Nicaea isn't something you expect to hear about in a Christmas movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, when I expect to hear it. I, 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 like, I expect oh. to hear it in every Christmas film, and I've just been disappointed <laughs> a lot. That's my big problem with "It's a Wonderful Life." Although it's, you'd be surprised how much of it isn't bad Santa. <laughs> <laughs> Billy, Bob, Billy Bob Thornton's got it figured out. Um, but uh, that's not true. Don't see that movie. <laughs> Hang on now. Don't see that movie uh-oh. based on Tyler's encouragement that the Council of Nicaea is mentioned. Okay, yes. All right. I was you, you lost me, then you got me there at the end. Yeah, sorry. I should have clarified when I first said If you're in the mood for a nice irreverent comedy, Bad Santa is right up your alley. Right. If you're interested in an in-depth dissection of the Council of Nicaea. There's probably a lot of Santa's books that you want to read first. 
Santa's not for you. Though I did not see the director's cut. Um, <laughs> there is a director's cut called Batter Santa. I'm going to assume that there's a lot of Nicaea in there. Uh, moving on. So, okay. I, I don't like putting it in these terms, but are we done with the positivity? Oh, I wish I wasn't. <laughs> I know. And I, I don't have anything else I think that stood out to me. I did have the thought a couple points that uh, I felt like the director, Darren Doan, playing Christian, actually kind of had some potential to be funny a couple times. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, and, he, and there are a couple lines that, and we can allow this to transition us into the negative, had this been a written script... Yeah. I think comedically and even dramatically, he could have pulled it off. Yeah, I oh, absolutely yeah. agree. I think yeah. he. I think he's somebody who could do something with a with an actual written script. Yeah. But again, a choice that we don't totally understand. Um, although we can maybe come up with rationales for it, there seems to be no actual script to the dialogue portions. Yeah, um, I think the, some the of the with uh, oh, voiceover with uh, Kirk Cameron where he's explaining things clearly scripted. Um, yeah. I think, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, he's got yeah. point. At, li- at the very least, there's an outline. Yeah. At the very least. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it's, again, they for some reason, that choice is made to not have a script. And I, I think it's much to the film's detriment. That's a, good, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I just thought of one more positive. This is a great idea for a documentary. We've kind of said it, but I'll <laughs> oh, just sure. say it right now. This is a great idea for a documentary. Yeah. yeah. And that is all that I have left. <laughs> yeah. J- it's... <laughs> Again, that's the thing is like this is not an uninteresting film no. at its core. Right. At its core. It's when you add, I'm going to say, everything else <laughs> that it becomes a problem. Well, uh, you know, here's another thing. All of that stuff gets in the way of what could be the good documentary. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. there, You could go so much more in depth into the, for instance, let's say the Christmas tree thing. There's a lot of good points that we like that he hits, but I'm sure there's more. Like, for instance, I come out of that film going – Especially with that one, the, with the Christmas tree one, that is a is a custom that has been accepted by mainstream culture for hundreds of years, which includes lots of Christians. Mm-hmm. There's all there's stories about, and I think these may be apocryphal, but there's stories about Martin Luther uh, cutting down a Christmas tree and something like that. So, well, that's because it's a German tradition. It was actually yeah. I, I don't know that it's anywhere else but Germany. Mm-hmm. Before, I, I don't know. Before the modern age, like, that's why we still sing Tannenbaum, right? Mm. I, I, and that that could be wrong. I, I hope if, some, if I'm wrong, let me know. But mm. um, I studied German history for a hot minute, and that that tradition uniquely is German. So mm. there's something to it. Like I'm fascinated. I'm, I was with you. I walked out going, but where does it come from? Yeah, yeah. and that's coming from a time when, like at that point. This council, council of Nicaea, and all these other councils and things. A lot of these are, are well, it's nice. That, I don't know where that one is, but there was a lot of. What I'm trying to say is, Germany was a place that was tr- predominantly Christian at that time. At uh, after after Nicaea, Germany became predominantly Christian after Nicaea because Nicaea happened before. Well, sorry, I'm thinking of the like in Martin Luther's day. Oh yes, 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 yeah. yes, yes, yes. yes. 
So, like, if if that was a custom that was around then in a place that was very Christian, like Germany, and, you know, you can have your arguments about what kind of Christians they were in Germany, but that's, you know, neither here nor there for this argument. If that was a culture that was accepted, then it wasn't just a pagan thing that people were doing and, and just looking the other way. Like, there there had to be something behind it. Right. And so, that's something that could have gone on in a documentary. Like, yeah. when did early Christians start having Christmas trees? All right. This has actually caused me to think of something and, and extrapolate larger things about Christian film in general. I'm gonna I'm gonna run down a quick list of movies that we've talked about on the show. All right, Fireproof, Courageous, Blue Like Jazz, um, Believe Me, God's Not Dead, Saving Christmas. There might be one or two others I don't recall, but those are the, the there's a lot of them there. <clears throat> you and I said the same thing about God's not dead that we're saying about this should have been a documentary mm-hmm. um, either about just pure apologetics or about the, the, I don't know what you'd call it. The repression of Christians on college campuses. Mm-hmm. And there are, there are actually a lot of documented instances of that. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. a documentary that I think should be made. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fireproof, I, when we recorded, I said, this book is actually pretty interesting. If you're married, you should read the book. It'll give you some, some good ideas about what you think, what you got, got into marriage for. Uh, and I said, so these, the, the points that the film makes are interesting. And then I said, yeah, but the, you can just read the book. Right. So I'll go ahead and say that Fireproof would be a better seminar than narrative film saving Christmas and God's not dead would be better documentaries than narrative film. Mm-hmm. Uh, even something like blue, like jazz was a biography. And I think that probably could have been a better documentary than a narrative film. Certainly mm-hmm. courageous could really, it's only believe me that I think works as a narrative film. Yeah. Um, well, that's because it was probably first and foremost conceived as a narrative film. There's not indeed. like we want to use something to get across this message. What's right. our best what's the the venue that we want to use yeah and so it's just it's so frustrating that all of these and and we pointed out improvements in christian film where they have come up courageous is a huge step forward compared to fireproof yeah totally god's not dead has some good acting occasionally some good writing and it and everything's in focus (laughs) which is a thing that we had said at the time um not so for saving christmas not so for saving oh my gosh okay hang on we'll get there in a moment um like we point out where they get better, but at their core, and I'm ex- and I'm encouraged by movies like Believe Me, but at their core, these movies do not justify themselves as movies. They are not works of art. They are I mean, they seminars. Are. What was that? They're just not <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, they're not fundamentally works of art Mm. they are lectures with a movie around them Mm. but at their core they're lectures there's nothing it just and that's thing some of the best i guess some of the best movies out there can also be lectures but they also recognize like the companion film for god's not dead was jfk which just makes which just spews information at you Mm. and spews theories at you but it still has great acting great writing and genuine character arcs Everything that, like, Oliver Stone, regardless of what he might have become as a filmmaker since then, at the time, he was at, like, the height of his 
power as a director and he knew what makes a good movie. And so he made a good movie first and foremost. And it's just like, so movies like saving Christmas, we talk about, Oh, it'd be a much better documentary provided. But then if they had made it as a, as a, as a clear documentary, I think it could, there, there's a higher potential for it to be good. But even then they could screw up the documentary because, and I'm sorry for speaking so negatively about Christian film, but like, it's just, it gets so tiresome that this is viewed as acceptable and maybe not on the part of the, of the audience, but that the filmmakers thought this worked, that this was the final cut. Hmm. Darren Doan, I looked him up a uh, very successful director of music videos. And for some, I don't remember exactly uh, who, but bands I had heard of that are not Christian bands. Mm. And so like music videos are an inherently visual medium. Like he understood, he, so he's shown himself elsewhere as being able to understand the visual quality of filmmaking. Not that they're necessarily the same, but it's, it really just like, because he, often I would assume prompted by Kirk Cameron, but like, because he wanted to lead with these points, it would appear that everything that he is as a filmmaker went away because they led with that first. Mm-hmm. And it just like, it's just exhausting talking about these and making this. I feel like we, we repeat ourselves episode to episode. Whenever yeah. we talk about Christian film, you know, I, um, for what it's worth, I've, I have a couple friends that are Christian filmmakers who have sought to make, Christian films that are good. Mm. And in talking to them, I've found probably what is the root of the problem. It's the money. Oh, sure. The people producing mm. these things, the people funding have mm-hmm. very strict standards yeah. and none of them are artistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you want to make artistic choices, you just can't, Yeah. you mm-hmm. have to make the movie that they're paying you to make. Yeah. And I, I don't know what the situation is here, but um, well, this one, I, I feel like I, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, no. I, that's, that was the end of that thought. I just wanted to say like, my, my point is when I, cause I'm, I'm exasperated. I just, yeah. I, I don't get it because I know there are Christians making film that are not right. As it were Christian films who are making great work. Yeah. But the second it becomes a story that, outwardly supports the biblical narrative and, and, um, makes the gospel explicit. The second that happens, it seems like there's this quality gap and, right. And it seems, it seems from the conversations that I've had that it's about where the money's coming from. Yeah. Mm. And so, and so that, and Hey, what I like is that, uh, my general dislike of the studio mentality that's across the board, like whether it be Hollywood or Christian film, it's always do what we want and we'll give you the money. Mm-hmm. Incidentally, we're not so interested in artistic quality. We're interested in one thing, almost anything except that. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I, I do not, I do not come down solely on directors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've, I've got plenty of frustration left over for, um, for studios and such. And I think this is a movie where I feel that frustration more because 
I think your studio in this case is Kirk Cameron, and that's oh, yeah. why it's Kirk Cameron saving yeah. Christmas. So the the one who is the face of this movie is the one who's providing the money yeah. for this in this His, case. When the movie is over, the first credit to pop up is executive producer Kirk Cameron. Yeah. Usually it's directed by, and in this case, it what that wasn't the first one to pop up, but frankly, it probably was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might say executive producer, but I think it probably should. It might as well say director. Um, but yeah, because I think he was probably the one calling the shots. And so yeah. uh, anyway, we, we started speaking broadly again. I apologize, everybody. Um, so yeah, uh, as far as specifically, because that's the thing is we can speak broadly about these. But if there are any if there happen to be any Christian filmmakers listening, maybe you can uh, listen in on some specifics and this will be helpful to you. And I apologize that we you know, I, I don't want to put ourselves up there, uh, you know, from a place of superiority, but like as film fans and as people who are more than willing to engage with a film on a theological, spiritual level, the, this is stuff that would work better for us, you know. If you, if you need to have a narrative with dialogue, write the dialogue, workshop it, do a couple of drafts, and yeah. and rehearse it. That's that's another thing that I. That's another problem I feel like I have with this film all the way through is uh, we talked about the rejection of kind of. Uh, traditions and conventions of a way uh, of the way you make a movie and the way you tell a story. Um, and I like it when there's a reason to, uh, to askew the normal conventions. So for instance, in a John Cassavetes movie, there's a mm-hmm. reason they don't have a script in right. some of those movies. There's right. a reason or, um, in something avant-garde where you might shoot the same shot three times in a row, which is something that happens in this film. Yeah. It's because you have a reason for it. Most of the things that happen in this film that go against that seem to be more because they they didn't think they needed to do anything else. They didn't feel right. like they needed a script. Yeah. Um, they didn't feel like they needed to do enough takes to make sure the shots are in focus. Yeah, uh, you know things like that, and and that is lazy filmmaking. Yeah, and it's, that's it's very Ed Woodian. It, it kind of is. It's like, let's just get it shot. Is it in the can? Let's go. Let's keep moving. Yeah. It, the whole thing feels, it feels very slapdash like that to me. It feels like they kind of got a narrative structure. They did it in the simplest way they could. It takes place in one car and in one house. The shots in the car are either direct on or yeah. from the side. And sometimes they don't even have enough coverage to see the actor's face while they're talking. Yeah. Which yeah. again, Sometimes is a choice that a director makes for a reason. Sure. This is because they didn't think they needed in this yeah. film. Yeah. And it's just, and like you said, there's, there is potential like in, in, cause we've been talking about their larger choices. Like they don't need the framing device, but we'll work, we'll work our way from broad to specific. So, okay. So we don't, like their broad choice. But if they felt like they absolutely had to do it, then the way to do it is this, you know, like I, I wish I could just say shoot it better, but it just, some of it is just like, what is interesting about your frame? And that's the thing. There can be, you know, there are plenty of movies where it's just a close up of an actor 
and that's it. There's no, there's no frills, but then you realize, well, what's interesting is the actor's face and what they're doing with the Mm -hmm. part, but these aren't parts. These aren't characters, you know, um, even, even the character of Christian who actually does have moments like that's not, it's not like a real character that you would see in, you know, Glengarry Glenn Ross or something like Mm -hmm. that. Um, and even as an actor, I think he could have done it if, Mm -hmm. and so it comes down to the writing, the writing will dictate a good performance Mm -hmm. or at least if there's a good performance there, good writing will bring it out. Um, which can then at the very least, because we are now watching something interesting, which is somebody perform line, good lines. Well, you don't even need to have it be too stylistic, a camera shot. It becomes interesting because what's in the frame has now become interesting. Mm -hmm. So like a lot of this so often with Christian film, a lot of it boils down to the writing, but of course an in, uh, an in focus shot will also help as well. It doesn't matter how good the writing is. If, if everyone, if I feel like my, my prescription's off, like that's, that's no good. <laughs> um, so we will talk and okay. Cause he, and here's the thing. Somebody might say, well, why did you need the writing? And I think a lot, a lot of it can be, <laughs> Nathan had a very <laughs> tangible reaction there. Uh, okay, what, uh, I'll throw it to you. You did theater. Yeah. You know how it works. Yeah. Um, you. Oh, gosh. You need writing for a number of reasons. Reason number one is efficiency. It, like an efficient use of the audience's time. Very, very few, um, I, I think... You guys are are more film guys than I am. Um, I think there are very few directors who know how to use a lot of words and maybe not the dialogue isn't as crisp and clear and efficiently used, but the story is moving and it's actually by using too many words, as Mm -hmm. you might say, um, that you're learning character. It's It's one of the things I love about the movie Nightcrawler is that that script is not in some ways it's really pared down, but in other ways the, the prose is so prosaic and, and over the top that reveals so much about the character. It's, it's a wonderful choice, I think. Mm. Yeah. You, you know, the, the two films that just popped into my head to illustrate my point are reservoir dogs, mm. which has a lot of talking Yeah, and, uh, and, not all of it is moving anything forward or giving the audience any information that it mm-hmm. needs. In right. fact, very, very little of it is doing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the case with a lot of Tarantino films. Right. But all of that talking is actually giving you a feel for your world, your characters, what's yeah. happening in the life outside yeah. of the frame mm-hmm. uh, versus training day, which I think is a very efficient use of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Every, like there is not a wasted moment mm-hmm. in that film. Yeah. Everything is leading up to a point. And without a script, you can't do either one of those things. Yeah. You're just burning time. You're yeah. wasting words. And what's more is, you know, it's all, so all three of us have acted at, at some point, and I'm sure all three of us have at some point had a monologue that requires a, an emotional build. Well, when you have a script in front of you, as opposed to maybe a, a couple points that you need to get to, when you have a script in front of you, you as an actor can go through and figure out at what point point where you need to be emotionally at what point in the monologue right whereas in this film you know the the character specifically the 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 character christian there are times when he's just talking and he needs he clearly he has an idea of where he needs to be emotionally by the end of his monologue but he doesn't quite know how he's going to get there so it winds up just kind of 
so in one case, there is there is one. Well, there are a few points, but there's one very specific point I remember where I wanted to literally scream. And it came with a moment of triumph for the character. He has come to realize, you know, it, it, it's his Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, what day is today? It's oh, that moment. Yeah. Yep. And it's him just repeating one line over and over, which again, uh, it, it's not your fault. That's a line that you can repeat over and over again, and it can work. Yeah. Um, mostly because it requires another character. Exactly. Whereas, I was about to say, because yeah. it requires a, it's yeah. evoking a response from yeah. the other character. Yeah. yeah. Whereas him saying, either I'm going to be that guy or I can be that guy. I think I don't he remember. says, I'm that guy. Oh, just I'm that guy. Okay. Something like that, where he's just, and basically what he's saying is like, all these good things, the guy who can, you know, the Ebenezer Scrooge type who can keep, who can keep Christmas merry and can really, uh, make f- people feel welcome and loved on a- at Christmas time. I can be that guy. I am that guy right now. That's all of that is what is the subtext for him saying, I'm that guy 10, 15 times. He says it too many times. <laughs> Too many, I think, is how... Too but that's many like, times? Oh, uh, watch out. <laughs> but that's the thing. One could make the argument that five is too many times. When I get to the point where I want to scream, and I'm not, I'm not being facetious, I wanted to scream at the screen and say, what are you doing? This is not the same as a revelation. This isn't the same as an emotional climax. This is the climax of your film, basically. Everything after that is denouement. But like... Mm-hmm. Th- if this is what for you passes as a climax, just the the actor, which is to say, in this case, also the director, mm. trying to find something emotional by just repeating the same thing over and over, like it is, like you said, I like the way you put it, respecting the audience's time. It's just like I feel like you don't even know that I'm here. That's this isn't for me. This is for you feeling like you need to get somewhere, but having not prepared with a script, even on the day of filming, I mean, it's a house, you're in a car in a park in a, in a driveway. You could have said, you know, guys, I think we need to take a break, sit down, spend an hour or two yeah. writing. Hey, this is an important part of our story because apparently story is super important. As they were saying at the beginning, mm-hmm. this is an important part of our story. Maybe let's write this out and I'll memorize it. Yeah. But they don't do that. And it's just, and it suffers so much. Yeah. Th- this is how, I'm sorry. This is how bad this movie is. We are talking about, and I'm trying not to be like funny about it. We're talking about how important writing is. Yeah. Like we're not talking, I mean, we can talk about out of focus shots and stuff. We can talk about, Oh, this bit of dialogue, that bit of dialogue. We could talk about this performance or that performance. We're, no, we're talking, talking about, about writing, writing. Yeah. The big five Oscars, picture, director, uh, actor, actress, screenplay. Like it is the core of a film and they didn't do it. Mm-hmm. It just like, again, I'm, I'm, I'm making myself angry. I'm sorry. Well, let me, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. Let me let me stand in there and give you a, give you a little bit of space. Thank you. I'm cool down a little bit. Um, and <laughs> well, then I'm going to throw it to Josh so we can give you extra space. Um, the the thing that made that moment the that moment was the cake topper on layers and layers and moment after moment of that character having two minutes to fill 
Boy. and nothing to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it was agonizing to watch him to watch him listen to Kirk Cameron respond with a wow, I never noticed that before. That's really amazing. Okay, but what about this next thing? And then drill into the ground that he doesn't believe the next thing yeah. is going to be great. And and it just it got to a point that I was like it actually got so bad. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but by like the third little vignette, um, Kirk Cameron's improv skills go out the window and he starts interrupting. Yeah. Because <laughs> I did notice that. Because there's so much wasted words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was baffling. It, it, I did notice that, that like, the, oh, they seem to be working together now. There's, there's like, like suddenly yes. And is kicking in like yeah. that, impro- mm-hmm. that improvisational theory. Um, and Kirk is just like feeding into it. And he kind of has a smile on his face. Like almost, it almost felt like he wanted to be part of the fun, fun quotes around it. Um, and it's just, uh, but yeah, it almost felt like maybe he was losing his patience a little bit mm-hmm. and it just, and again, this speaks to like, there are moments where what Darren Doan is doing, like his instincts, like there are comedic choices being made yeah. that that could have worked. There was one moment that Josh, you talked about where mm-hmm. he, I don't remember what it was, but like he said something that was actually kind of amusing and yeah. he drove it into the ground. Yeah. There was, there was a joke that actually worked and then he added something on top of it that like, I like the idea of a cake topper because I feel like that's a pretty apt analogy because if the cake topper gets too big, it destroys the whole cake. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's, that's what I felt about at least that moment. And, um, this whole, this, uh, this big uh, anvil on top of this cake, <laughs> this it's really going to top it off. People are going to like this. Um, but, uh, I think this general problem that we're talking about seems to come down to, well, there are a lot of factors involved, but kind of comes down, comes down to two major things. Um, one of them is editing. If you have two characters who are, ad living ad nauseum um eventually it gets not funny even with talented oh, uh, sure. comedians and talented yeah. Im- Im- improvisers you can get to the point where it's just too much and you yeah. need to know when to pare it down my guess is that uh both of these people who are doing this Im- improvising had a heavy hand in the editing if not did the editing themselves yeah, yeah. so that uh that element of collaboration that can be important in having an editor to say, you know what, this doesn't work, that goes out the window. The other thing, which is, I guess, a specific problem, but something we haven't really addressed yet, there's not enough content in this movie for it to be as long as it is. Not even close. Yeah. Which so, then makes it a good alternate title is, of course, Slow Motion, the movie. Yes, there's copious slow motion in this. There is, I think that's one of the reasons that a lot of that ad living gets left in because they need something to fill. It's, yeah. it's obvious that they are trying to bulk this movie up to make it 80 minutes and it's only 80 minutes, right? Yeah. And it's, it's with end credits and, and yeah, and, and a rather extended opening credit sequence. Yes. And a completely yeah. unnecessary dance sequence. that seems five yeah. minutes long and maybe an longer in- and an intro that seems, you know what? <laughs> Suddenly that intro makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Well, that's when you started talking about the frame of the film, I thought it was interesting that you skipped over the intro Yeah, because the intro after the film was, it was so clear to me that they had filmed this narrative and then gone. Yeah. Crap. You guys were at not even sixty minutes. We gotta, <laughs> we gotta fill some space here. Yeah, and yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Not mm-hmm. enough content. Not 
nearly enough content for a film. Yeah. And the thing is this, and you're right when you say they didn't film enough content. They had enough content. Like what we were saying. Yeah. They could have developed like the big three things, which is, of course, nativity, Santa, tree. Right. Those are the big, they're big set pieces of information. Any of the, like those three, if you wanted to lock into those three, you could have expanded those and really got us interested. Uh, but they don't, so that they could have done more with it, but, but they don't. And then they certainly didn't film enough. They're talking for a solid, what, 45 seconds to a minute of just holding on the face of the guy dressed up as Santa Claus, Mm -hmm. right? Just staring at, it's actually not a bad image. Like the idea of him, like staring daggers into you as you see, like the fake Santa beard, like kind of falling off and he that has feels this, like something from a music video director <laughs> doesn't it, yeah. yeah absolutely it does and just and he's like cracking his knuckles like looking like you know a real tough guy as we're leading into the story about how saint nicholas was a lot tougher than we thought he was great it's a good instinct but when you stretch it out having it go like a quarter of the speed uh, of a normal shot it's just a number of there are a number of times uh, when I watched this movie and and just thought, how long are they going to hold on this? Yeah, yeah, and and sequences when uh, <laughs> overusing slow motion is one thing. This is beyond that because to me, overusing slow motion just means like you've used that technique a little bit too much. It's getting a little old. Yeah, there are points in this when they're not only has that happened, but we're showing slow motion. We're using slow motion for sequences when I can't, I can't come up with any rationale for why there should be slow motion. Yeah. Totally. The one when he's walking up to his wife at the end, that goes on forever. And yeah. there's no reason that that needs to be slow motion, except let's make the and movie. ADR longer. is awful. I actually, <laughs> I got home uh, after seeing the movie and my wife and a few friends were in our apartment and they were like, how's the movie? And the first thing I said was, don't go see it. The second thing I said was there is more slow motion in this film than in 300. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and 300 has a crap load of slow motion. Oh, and it makes you, and that's the thing everyone. Yeah. Everyone argues, uh, about not argues. They, they complain about Zack Snyder's use of slow motion, but suddenly you realize, well, I think he may, he may see the need for it too often mm-hmm. and na- and then it becomes less effective. But he at least, I think, is saying like, you know what? I think this moment needs to be in slow motion because we really need to emphasize. Right. Yeah. Emo- He's got a reason. Yeah, he has a reason. This- Other than we need to make our movie yeah. longer. <laughs> I think yeah. maybe a good distinction is overuse, which is the Zack Snyder thing, to yeah. misuse, which is the Saving Christmas yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One could say abuse. <laughs> They're abusing their slow motion capabilities. I mean, yeah. Which, uh, you know, the thing that heightened that problem for me was the fact that the rest of the movie didn't move. If we can move off of slow motion for a yeah, second. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Everybody in this film is sitting down. Mm. Yeah. Everybody is sitting down. Kirk or Cameron dancing down. for five brief. Or da- until the dancing. <laughs> Did you say brief minutes? I started to say that. Yeah, come on now. <laughs> I don't know we'll get to that thinking. in a moment. Um, the intro, Kirk Cameron is sitting down. It's a two shot on him and he doesn't really move at all. Yeah. And there's nothing interesting in the shot and it's far too long. That intro ends three times, I think. Um, cause I get, I thought like there were, I think there were three moments in that yeah. intro where I was mm-hmm. like, okay, now the movie starts. Oh, we're still sitting here with Kirk. Oh, he's still, Oh, he's yeah. going to talk again. Okay. Got it. Um, 
Oh, that mug is not actually full of hot chocolate. Not that, at all. Oh, that so many people um, have have uh, pointed that out that it's worth noting. Yeah, it's <sighs> uh, it's bad. Then uh, then they go out, and Kirk Cameron is standing in the kitchen with his sister and talking. He goes and finds his brother in law, who is sitting in a chair. They don't move. He goes out to the car, and that's where the film takes place: is in yeah. the car. The the vignettes, the manger is is just a, a, a it seems to be a camera on a jib, jib arm just moving around a manger with nothing in it. Fading out and then back in. Yeah. For no particular what reason. A strange Going choice. in and out of focus. Um, the second vignette about trees is like the same three shots of a girl in a, in like a, a tree lot. Yeah. yeah just wandering around yeah uh, it's there is so little movement in the movie mm-hmm. that i was getting visually bored yeah. yeah oh yeah but i was so stunned by how bad yeah. things were done that i couldn't not look at it yeah and i th- <laughs> <laughs> i think that's interesting. like a like a train wreck <laughs> like a tra- that's a, that's why people use not that unlike a train wreck <laughs> yeah well that's another interesting thing to talk about is the idea of it being boring and boring has become kind of a vague general uh cr- criticism that we use for just something that we don't like but i feel like we can really delve into what boring means in this movie. (laughs) That sounds so facetious. And I I honestly don't mean it that way because like you were saying, there's not enough happening. There's not, there's not uh, movement. There's not energy. There's nothing moving the story forwards. And that becomes boring. Even in a movie where you can have a movie where people are very static physically, but that's usually because there's something emotionally happening mm-hmm. and there's something in the character that's happening, or maybe uh, some kind of tension of something that's happening outside of this place. Right. And none of those things are present here. So we, there's, it, it is boring in the truest sense of the word, I think just because there, there isn't enough moving this movie forwards. I, I saw the actually mid midway through this movie. I thought this would be a great documentary. And the first thing I thought of was history channel used to do, a show that was a half hour long and it was this guy making connections between ancient inventions and modern technology. And it was literally an old guy walking through fields, explaining technology to you. And the content couldn't have been more boring, but he was walking around and he was really smart and quirky. Yeah. And so there was a lot of energy to yeah. it. Yeah. See that but, that's a, uh, <laughs> a filmmaker for, for one of a better term, I guess the, who knows that it, if the content itself is not enough to drive the, the piece forwards to add some kind of elements of energy and slow motion right. is the opposite of that. Right. Right. So not only are we sitting down in cars, but as soon as we are moving, we're moving super slow. Yeah. And you know, oh, here, man, like here's the thing. Um, when right, right before the uh, the dance sequence, when our main character bursts through the door and just runs and does like a penguin belly slide into the tree, slow motion, and I'm fine with it because that motion would actually be fast mm-hmm. in life. Mm-hmm. So for them to slow it down, and of course it's a moment of triumph emotionally for the mm-hmm. character, that's slow motion that, that justifies itself. Anywhere else, almost anywhere else in the film, it just doesn't, again, it just doesn't make sense. It just, it is so, it is such a naked 
uh, attempt to get the running time up. Yeah. Speaking of that too, and we should probably move off this, I guess, but one of the things that I just remembered that I had completely forgotten was in the film that, uh, when they, they, they show the part with St. Nicholas before you know what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah somewhere earlier in the movie and i had forgotten about that because it yeah. doesn't make sense appearing earlier as it does at yeah. all in any way whatsoever that's that has to be just another thing to pad out the running time it, ha- had, it happens after um doesn't it happen right after the intro right yeah. after the intro but i think before the credits and that's the thing it it has a nice little air of mystery so if it happened right at the top it would actually have a lot of power and then a payoff later on. But the, the problem being, happens after the eight minute boring intro. Yeah. And the, the problem would be if you were to have that starting out the movie and then drop into Kirk Cameron sitting in a, in a right. chair, you'd be like, what, what happened? What yeah. are we doing? Yeah. Whereas, yeah, that going into a dramatic opening credits. Sure. Absolutely. But again, okay. So this is, here's, here's how I've described the film. And that's the thing, you know, you saying like, we need to talk about what boring is. Me saying, we need to explain what writing is. Like, we have actually sort of stumbled our way into a joke that I made, but it's not really a joke. This seems like a movie made by people that have maybe never seen a movie, or at least they haven't seen very many of them, and they don't know what is expected of a movie. They don't know what a movie consists of. They don't know mm. to write dialogue. They don't know why slow motion is used. Like it just the essence of, of filmmaking is, seems to be lost on them. But the, the thing is, Darren Doan is a director of music videos and a successful one at that. Mm. So he does have these abilities now, of course, this is, you know, 75 minutes longer than any music video he's done, mm-hmm. I have to assume. Um, and there's dialogue. So there is a notable difference between music videos and feature film. But it's just like, so he at least understands aspects of the visual language of, of film. But just none of that transfers. And it just seems, it, it could not seem more amateurish. Yeah. I, I feel like, and the... It, it can't be purely that because neither of these people are amateurs. That's the thing. Right. So I, my, what I have to chalk it up to as far as wh- how this happened, how did this get made? Yeah. Um, I, I have to chalk it up to the echo chamber of two people who have kind of an idea, maybe more than two people, um, and don't have anyone around to tell them like, this isn't working or don't have anyone to say like, you really should write this or at least don't listen to those voices. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, they're rationalizing as they go along. I, I mean, they have to know some of these things that this doesn't work or that doesn't work. Yeah. Um, but I think it's just this echo chamber of not listening to other people and thinking too much in service of the lecture as it were mm-hmm. and forgetting about the other stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I feel like, you know, I, I hope we haven't been too overly negative. We should probably start moving towards an ending. Um, I hope we haven't been too overly negative, but the fact is this, like, I think you can get, you can be constructive in your criticism and hopefully we have been that. I know that I myself at times have kind of gone, uh, kind of heightened a little bit, but at the same time, that is how I feel. I feel like as Nathan was saying, I feel like my time wasn't respected. I feel like my intelligence wasn't respected. Mm. 
and I feel all in favor, by the way, of a film that doesn't e- that that achieves one goal, as we all acknowledge, which is to get you excited for Christmas. It achieves one goal. It attempts to achieve others. And then as it brings up certain questions, it doesn't answer them. Like the, the big one that I talked about was the idea of like someone saying, hey, maybe we can scale back on Christmas, take that money and do some ch- wonderful charitable work with it. That's a giant complaint from Christians and non-Christians about Christmas. Mm-hmm. And they address it. Sorry. They bring up the question, but they never answer it. So like even when they could have – as they were delving into so many other things, they don't even address this thing, which is among the most legitimate complaints that somebody can have about Christmas. Mm-hmm. And the so, complaint that's not anything new. Right. As we will see from the companion film. Yes. And so – and it's it's so interesting that the companion film is a Charlie Brown Christmas from 1965, directed by Bill Melendez, written by Charles Schultz himself. And so the thing is this. I want to also bring this into uh, – I want to bring in the artistic side as well as the, the thematic side. Charlie Brown Christmas. It's odd that I, I picked this as the companion film before seeing Saving Christmas – with the with the acknowledgement in my own head, it's like, okay, once I see it, maybe I'll feel differently. I most certainly did not feel differently for a number of reasons. One is that how have we described Saving Christmas, especially when it comes to running time? It does not justify its 80 minutes. It shouldn't be 80 minutes. It should be short films on YouTube, half hour at most. Charlie Brown Christmas is 30 minutes. It was a TV <laughs> special. They get in, get out, they understand, and they, they, expl- they explore a lot of like the, the kind of the depression that can come with the holidays, mm-hmm. the idea of having an expectation for what Christmas is that maybe even if you think of it from a purely Christian standpoint, um, putting this day up on a pedestal as it's going to be the best day of the year, it's like, well – it might not be. You might have a crappy Christmas. Does that mean – does that negate the point? It doesn't, which is one of the exciting things about it. Mm-hmm. It's worth – you know, one of the things that I always think is interesting is that, uh, you know, we we celebrate Christmas in the wintertime when things are cold and dead and it feels like things are hopeless. <laughs> um, and the idea of Christmas is like, no, it's not. There's tremendous hope. And look at like look at these humble beginnings. And out of these came this amazing, hopeful, uh triumphant thing. And so uh sorry, I don't completely remember where I was going with that. Uh, but just uh but Charlie Brown Christmas addresses like the 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 sadness that Charlie Brown feels. It feels weird to I almost called him Charlie. That's wrong. It doesn't didn't feel right at all. I felt like I was doing something biblically wrong by just calling him Charlie. <laughs> like all the other characters call him Charlie Brown. Like they can't even, yeah, at least yeah. they didn't say Charles Brown just to cut out any kind of uh, familiarity. <laughs> um, but, uh, and this is a film that really manages to capture the essence of certain, certain aspects of the Christmas season that I think a lot of films don't. And it does it by simpl- simplifying everything and not trying to stretch it to feature length. It's a TV special and it does everything it needs to do. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I love a Charlie Brown Christmas and I've only come to love it more as an adult and I come to really identify with Charlie Brown, um, which of course makes Linus's monologue at the end so much more meaningful to me. Um, but, uh, and I grew up watching this film. What about you guys? Yeah, I did as well. I did not. You did not. Okay. I, I watched it. Okay. On occasion. All right. But I did not grow up watching it. So you did not necessarily have affection for it? Uh, I've enjoyed it. Okay. After, after my conversion, I had a greater affection for it. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Um, revisiting, it was one of those things that, uh, for those of us who were converted later in life, like you rewatch something or re-listen to something and you mm-hmm. go, how did I miss that? And <laughs> yeah. it was definitely that, that kind of a moment, but no, I, I did not watch it a lot growing up. Um, but you do enjoy it now. I do. Um, purely on a, on a theological level or, um, no, the peanuts characters are great. How yeah. did you not enjoy them? And the music? Oh yeah. Music's amazing. The music is pretty great. It is basically the first thing that we, we have the CD of the Charlie Brown Christmas mm-hmm. and, um, it's basically the first thing we listen to at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it's just so, and not all the music in there is specifically Christian. Like it has the peanuts theme, which is just the general peanuts. I think theme, the only actual Christian thing is hard. The Herald angels sing, right? I mean, the yeah, rest I think of it's so. Oh, Christmas tree. Maybe the first Noel is in there. I can't remember. I, I don't remember. Well, I no, don't I don't think it is, but it's such, yeah, it's, it sets the mood so well. And because it's, it's beautiful and sometimes it's quite light and airy, but there also is occasionally a little twinge of melancholy mm-hmm. in there, which I always feel around the holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Josh, did you watch a Charlie Brown Christmas when you were a kid? I did. Many did you times. watch it over and over again? Probably not in the same year. Okay. Yeah. So once, once a year, probably. Yeah. Okay. For a long time. And then, uh, it's, it's become harder to see some of those classic Christmas ones this year. Several of them are actually available on streaming platforms, which is great because they weren't last year and mm-hmm. I wanted to watch a bunch of them and just couldn't. Um, but this year there's, there's more available. So I'm actually looking forward to watching this one sometime soon. It's on Hulu plus, I believe. All right. And I, and I also own my very own copy because oh. I have to, because it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's the best. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I, I do think the the characters are very funny, and and I will I I only have a couple of quotes here. Um, this is a uh, this is Charlie Brown summing up his feelings around Christmas time. I think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I just don't understand Christmas. I guess I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy. I always end up feeling depressed. He's talking to Linus. Not his teacher. You don't know. Or or any adult, I guess. That was a really good adult. Yeah, it's not bad. That was the adults telling him to get get away from that brick wall, kids. (laughs) (laughs) I just painted that. And so it's... Paint a brick wall. (laughs) It does make a great deal. Okay. Um, Yeah, and why do you paint Christmas... Like, uh, Christmas trees. Maybe painted pink. Like, that's... Like, Lucy wants a a pink Christmas tree. Oh, there you go. Uh... But yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like anybody can can look at that and relate to it. It's all very it's all very simplistic, but still very complex in, in how he feels. Knowing uh, certainly a kid knowing how he should feel and doesn't, and feels like there's something wrong with him. It really is not unlike the character of Christian leaving his Christmas party and just being alone because he just feels like none of this is doing it for me, and I know it should. And so, you know. And so while 
Kirk Cameron in Saving Christmas, while the character of Kirk is explaining, well, going bit by bit and all that, um, when it comes right down to it, the, and while that can be helpful, if you if it does, if it does help you, awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but when when I watch Charlie Brown Christmas and Linus goes up and and Charlie Brown says, "Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about?" and then Linus very simply says, "Sure, Charlie Brown, I know what Christmas is all about," and he goes out and he says. I'm sure anybody who's seen the film or read the Bible, I guess, uh, can can say this with me. Uh, and li- sorry, lights, please. There we go. Uh, <laughs> and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were so afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in the manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. Now it is interesting. Oh, and then he says, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And interestingly enough, as I was typing this out, uh, the swaddling clothes jumped out at me uh, yeah. because of uh, Saving Christmas, consarnate, um, because that that sequence is uh, really poorly put together. But oh, <laughs> but it's a great point. But it is a great point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and may, and you know what? For the for the sake of argument, because it was brought up in this quote from Charlie Brown Christmas, perhaps we make it. Uh, Nathan, uh, try to summarize the uh, the swaddling clothes aspect oh, of the. Yeah, film. sure. So. Um, the angel points out specifically, you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. And um, Kirk Cameron's point is, if you take away the things that we f- have perhaps overly familiarized ourselves with, the shepherds, the sheep, even the manger itself, um, Joseph and Mary, even just for a moment, the baby Jesus, these things that we've grown very familiar with, and we look at those swaddling clothes, they remind us of the great need of an infant that an infant needs to be clothed and covered. And, um, and if, and if we're focusing merely on those swaddling clothes and, and they seem to be important because the angel is pointing them out to us, we are quickly reminded to, uh, reminded of the linens, uh, left in Jesus's tomb when, uh, when the, uh, disciples went to see his body and, uh, and that was all that was left was the linens wrapped around his body. And it's, and it really emphasized this idea. It's like, you know, the, the, that Jesus came to die. And even when he was a baby, like the, like we think of, Oh baby, you know, in, in, in Ricky Bobby Jesus. what is he watching and learning things? I forget <laughs> like watching like baby Einstein or something like that. Um, but yeah, like we think of this, of this thing and, you know, when we as, you know, and you're, I mean, Nathan, you're a parent. Like when we think of babies, we think of something that is new and something that is meant to grow and learn and be all of these amazing things. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that is meant to certainly uh, outlive us. Um, mm-hmm. And so the idea that this baby is here and the purpose of it is to die and the reminder of that with the swaddling clothes and that sort of thing, that is interesting. That's a very interesting point. And it's a great point. Yeah. And it's that's, you know, mm-hmm. even in <laughs> terrible movies, like God can still remind us of things. And that is what Christmas is about. That's what, you know, all of these things, 
if you like the Christmas tree, awesome, great. Even if you like it without the explanation from Saving Christmas, as I do, it's fine. If, but in the end, what it comes down to is our, you know, our redemption through Christ and our, our justification through Christ. And hopefully, and because, you know, that's of course why we give each other presents and that's why we celebrate with the people that we love and why we're more charitable is because God was charitable towards us. Like charity is something that a person has not earned, but you're giving them. We have not earned these things, Mm -hmm. but we were given them anyway. So it's a wonderful, it's a time to celebrate, uh, however that may be, but it is also a time to keep in mind what you're celebrating, maybe to embrace that spirit as well. So by all means, give presents to your children. Maybe, uh, maybe look up some charities as well while you're at it. Yeah. Um, and because that's the thing is, one of the vibes that I got from saving Christmas and I don't know if, I don't think he specifically says it, but one of the vibes is like it has, it's either, or, um, you can either just be, just have the biggest feast ever and just celebrate it because when you're celebrating with your family in just the most ostentatious manner possible, you're really celebrating Jesus. Like that's true. You are also celebrating Jesus. If you do very little on Christmas day and go and serve at a soup kitchen. And, I mean, if you're reading certain portions of scripture, one is more emphasized than the other. One could say that, <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, it's just a, you know, it's a time that I, I do not want to dictate to people how they should celebrate it. Because I think this is something where everybody responds to certain aspects of the Christmas story. Not not in a different way, but like, oh, this is the part that jumps out at me. I know mm-hmm. that some people say that like the, the angel appearing to shepherds of all people you know, like a very humble, uh, profession, um, when, as opposed to Kings, you know, and of course there's still the Magi later on, but like, uh, some people find that and the inherent humility of that. And the idea of like, you deserve to know this just as much as quote unquote important people. Some people that really means a lot to them, you know? And so one thing that I guess we can get out of saving Christmas is just trying to trying your best to look at maybe every aspect of Christmas at a different angle and finding the part that resonates most with you, knowing full well that at its core, all of these things are about Jesus and his eventual sacrifice. It's something that always fascinated me was why Easter is not as big, I guess, because we don't have a specific day. Like it's not April 8th, you know, 18th Hmm. every year. It's always different. So I feel like if we had a locked in day, although Thanksgiving is still big, yeah, you know, and that's the fourth Thursday of every November. And so, um, but yeah, so enjoy Easter. We'll talk about that. We'll probably talk about it. We, I keep meaning to do passion of the Christ as a function of Easter, but I, I always, I keep forgetting. It's, um, hard, to be, it's hard to do a big hubbub with Easter. It is. Jesus didn't come out and like establish a bunch of traditions and stuff. Like he is risen. Yeah. He is risen indeed. And like, that's amazing. But mm-hmm. there's an Easter story. There's a sto- stone being rolled away. That's a thing. Totally. Just as, you know, just as much as manger in a stable, like tomb, stone rolled away, empty. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder why that one never got yeah. big. I love Easter. Because I guess, I guess when you think about it, like that imagery is about the absence of something. Now, of course, yeah. it's absence being a great thing, but mm-hmm. it's hard to celebrate an absence of something. <laughs> um, That's true. So, uh but yeah, um, I don't know where I, where I went with that. Oh yeah. Just trying to commemorate, uh, you know, Jesus, uh, Jesus coming and his, uh, his redemption and, and, and his redemption of us. And incidentally, you can celebrate that every day of the year. Certainly can. 
which is something that I have had to tell myself because I've had some, I won't tell the story of my saddest Christmas on here because it's, it's so depressing. It's quite funny. Um, at least to me, I find it funny after a while. Um, but that's the thing is like, and so there are times when it's like, Oh, Christmas, it was supposed to be such a great day and it is a great day, but what's, it's so great. In fact, that the thing that makes it great can make every other day of the year great as well. Mm -hmm. So, all right, I think we will leave it there. Hopefully I was, I was going to say, hopefully we weren't too hard on saving Christmas. I think we were just, I think we were hard on saving Christmas. Yeah. But I think it deserved it from a filmmaking standpoint. Like this level of quality is, I don't like to use this word. It's unacceptable. When you're like, if you've got a point to make great, now your responsibility is to make it well. If a pastor, a pastor could have wonderful points to make, but if the way, if his sermon is as slapped together as this movie is, no one will get those points. That is true. Only a few people, and they'll be able to extrapolate it in spite of his sermon, not because of it. Mm -hmm. You know, the fact that we can actually get stuff from Saving Christmas, I think, hopefully I'm not sounding too facetious when I say this, I think that is a function of God being able to speak through literally anything. It's more about that than a validation of the filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah. So, everybody go out and watch A Charlie Brown Christmas. That'll tell you everything you need to know. And it'll be quite entertaining along the way for only 30 minutes. <laughs> so, all right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Nathan, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And Josh, as always, thank you. You're welcome. And you know what, guys? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And to all a good night. <laughs>